Welcome to another episode of Bike High No Limit. It's the podcast about people and their relationship with technology. And what a treat we've got this time round. Whereas I start my In Conversation podcast with Bob Pape. Bob Pape is well known for programming ZX Spectrum games. His most famous work is R-Type, where he used colourful graphics, which um, were quite a revelation for the ZX Spectrum, which was really accustomed to uh, monochrome graphics to stop its legendary attribute clash. He wrote a book about it called It's Behind You, which you can find online for free as a download. Um, It's on www.bizby.com. But as you'll find out, Bob's knowledge and talent span many different topics. So sit back and relax and listen to our conversation with Bob Pape. When I read your book, probably about eight years ago, I've reread it, I've revisited it a few times, and, and yet I still find new things out about it. And it's like I, I sort of learn as as you go along. So there's mentions of the TRS-80, then all of a sudden yeah. it's in a podcast about TRS-80, and I'm thinking... Oh yeah, that's and you know Mercedes silver and black, you know, and all that business, and how they crashed often and 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 things, and it's sort of like what you wrote has been a magnet to other things that have you know sort of conglomerated an interest, if you know what I mean. I, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm terrible at games, so it's, <laughs> <laughs> and also being an arcade boy, I mean, I was aware of Rampage and, and R Type. So when they were mentioned in the teasers of uh, your Sinclair, I thought I knew what was coming. But I'd I'd been conditioned into this constant underwhelmed state, really, when that came to conversions, because um, I played Bubble Bobble a lot in the arcades and um, Bomb Jack and things like that. And, um, you know, you just became spoilt, really, by seeing the first, you know, the, 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 the coin yeah. ups, I guess. But um, Rampage, couldn't believe it. I mean, it was... Yeah, to me, it was as arcade true. I don't think um, I I contributed to your or or Activision's bottom line on that. I think that was on a C90 (laughs) tape. Um, But um, yeah, but 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 R type. Yeah, I played a demo on the CMVG. I was absolutely blown away, and 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 I was. And um, but the thing is, I've only realised now at at my ripe years that it was actually um, analysing patterns that that actually get to the end, you know. And I I, I was always had sort of like anxiety about putting ten p in. I was only getting like a pound a week, so I never played the machines. I just used to watch them in a trap mode, you know. And you had the Carnov, Nemesis, and all them. And yeah, that was really good. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a, um, you know, like, I'm not a completer game. And, yeah, I've got a Spectrum in the corner and stuff like that. But I, I fire it up regularly and I just stare at it and thinking, well, what do I play, you know? So it's, um, so I, I really enjoyed your book. I, I love reading nice. about the anecdotes of it and, um, and, 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 and the sharp practices that you came across. <laughs> oh, they, you, you, I mean, you should hear some of the other stories from other coders. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I can't, I, I, I won't go into them, perhaps because of, well, you know, they're libelous, perhaps. Yeah, and, maybe. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's their story. I'm not yeah. going to steal their stories. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, stuff like you know, one coder telling me being bundled into the back of a transit van and being forced <laughs> to work. Wow. Um, yeah. Another telling me he was told he'd have to work Christmas Day to finish a game, to which he replied. I'm going to throw you out the window. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Mark Cale, uh, you know, that's a, that's a whole chapter in itself, Mark Cale. I mean, you know, of all the people driving Porsches or Ferraris, it was Mark Cale and his brother. It wasn't the coders. No, no, and, no. And, um, 
you know, but when you're going back to, say, the fidelity of the games, Rampage, I only found out a few years ago what was missing from it. And it's, you know, it, there's a lot of Ralph can only eat certain things, George can only eat certain things, Lizzie, if she, if she eats, she, I think it's a she, eats this, this will happen, you know. And, um, yeah, and, it, and I thought there's, there's a lot of it missing. Is a, you know, um, but people still say it's rampage. I think it's it's a three player aspect. I think it's probably the only one you can actually. God, God knows how you could play it three player around a spec. No. You know, just on a keyboard. <laughs> well, yeah, well, this is it because you only had like two ports and a plus two, or if you had an interface two and go go going at the back of it. But yeah, you'd need two joysticks and and one geezer in the middle on the keys maybe or, or something like that. But. Um... Yeah, I mean, I was I was hoping like sort of like um, there was a there was a game probably done by Bally as well at the time called um, Xenophobe. Um, oh yeah, I think that was a that was originally a free player, but I don't know if that actually converted over into like um, three players on on the eight bits and uh, Quartet uh, Sega's Quartet. Uh, that was a four player, but oh, I'm not sure. I mean, it was Gauntlet multiplayer as well? Yes, it I was. Remember. Yeah, I, yeah. Because um, yeah, yeah. and then you had Dandy, which was I think was a single well, it was a single player uh, rip off, knock off of it. Yeah. Uh, but I think Gauntlet was a multi well four player in the arcades, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think it was three or four. I think it's three on the PlayStation. I think that um, yeah, that's like getting quite modern and, and stuff. But um, there's a few multiplayers, but um, I never knew anybody else who had a Spectrum. I was sort of like a bit of a nomad. So, like, you know, I didn't really... I, I guess you'd be quite... You know, you wouldn't have, like, people who are rich enough to, like, play Rampage through in an arcade and also oh. own a Spectrum. So It's, it's a boring yeah. game. It's it's a yeah. really boring game, to be honest. You go, wow, look at all this. I'm enjoying myself. Yeah. Get rid of, you know, the first level. Yeah, comes the second level. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, all right, yes, yes. Yeah. And then it comes the third level. I, hang on a minute. Yeah, yeah this is it's it. Just... It's like third level, first level. And that's it. It's like insert American town here. Yeah, yeah. it's about 50, 50. So I've got a printout somewhere, or a, a screenshot of, of all the levels of the game, of all my game. And I think I put 40 or 50 in, hmm. but they're just, you know, the same thing over and over. And, and that's the arcade. The arcade doesn't ramp itself up. No. Despite the name. Rampage. And, um, it, it, yeah, it, yeah, it just carries on. And it's it's a, it's a money guzzler. Yes. It's, it, it's an idea game. It's someone came up with this. This is a good idea. And then they put the idea in a, as a screen and said, where do we go from here? And they could have, they could have evolved it. They could have, you know, we've got, rectangular buildings and things you could have gone with something you know landmarks or something i mean i know they did rampage world tour yes later on on the, uh, on the consoles or maybe on the arcade as well but you could have brought in different weapons you could have brought in at least different backdrops it's always that same bloody new york skyline you know getting shadow at the back you could have done something bringing some clouds bring you know yeah yeah but, uh yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the humour as well in the games, and I think that was all sort of like uh, what was it eating people when they're on the toilet and all that. <laughs> you, you, yeah, and eating yeah. toilets. Yeah, that was yeah. the whole thing. If you ate someone on the toilet, you got something. If you ate a toilet, then it, it was something else. I didn't know that because, as I said, in you know, we never had the machine. We were just told to go to the arcade and play it. And there were the, you know three of us in in, in a. Swansea Arcade with me and a cassette recorder in my backpack and a microphone over my shoulder going three buildings, one red, one green, one true. It's about half the size of the other one. And, and right now, oh, this one's got trams. This one, you know, and it was like that. <laughs> that, was the, that was the game design. That was a game spec. It was that. It was ridiculous. 
It's madness. It was incredible, you know, and again, you know, sort of like uh, you go into detail in the book, like the limitations that you had to actually adapt these games and put them onto a screen with a different resolution, but yet you still managed to pull it off. Did you find that, you know, when, when you're playing these games, how much did that cost in, in, in financial terms just to keep going? Or did you manage to flick it over to free play in, in, in the arcades, you know, bung them a few quid to put it on free play? Well, with, with Rampage, it was somebody else's money. It was um, Richard Kiteley's, who, who probably, I, I, he doesn't get a good write-up in the book. Richard doesn't. Um, for our type, that started out, as I said, it starts out, there's a lot of reverse memories on this and people going oh it was great in the arcades and everything but it wasn't you know i showed from the advert from electrocoin advert it's the last game they were advertising on their on their handouts um what was he on the black tiger is it, is it black tiger yes totally, yep, yep. Mr. i think mr Haley was on that sheet and you know it comes after the pinball machines mm, mm. and it was and a bar case x of, but yeah, there was, bar we x, had loads yeah. of bar x where we were it's like <laughs> because they made a fortune per square foot so everybody had a bar x yeah. Boom, yes. boom, 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 boom. Um, That's all you used to hear all the way through. You know, to to play it, I, there was an arcade in Oxford Street in London, and that's where I first saw it, because that's when we all went up, everyone went up to look at these new games. And it was like, that's when I said, you know, pity the poor bugger who's going to do this one. But then it was a case of, all right, you've got the game now. Where is it? Oh, it's just in the Electrocoin up um, Tottenham Court Road. You know, you've got to go up there. You've got to go to London to play it. Then I got I got a tape of someone playing it, which was a lot better. But luckily, yeah, when you get tapes of people playing games, they hopefully you you are hoping they're playing it on invulnerability, and you're hoping they're not pushing the fire button. Yeah. Because as soon as something comes on the screen, you want to see what it does, rather than <laughs> I'm going to blow it up, you know, before it gets to me. Yeah. Um, and then when I went to work with Carl, uh, we had the arcade machine there, and then we could do what we liked with it. But with other games, yeah, I mean, with Dragon Breed, I got a jammer board and a lovely little portable unit. I could play that at home. But you kind of got what your company could afford and the support. You know, with, again, with our type, Iram supplied everything about two weeks after we finished the game. You know, we kept asking for it. Lovely stuff. Absolutely fabulous stuff, a fantastic. I mean, if that went on eBay now, God knows what it would go for. But it was it was like a full manual and not a tech manual, but the manual of of the game. Someone had sat down and written it all out. And yeah. um, like for our type two, they, they sent us sprite sheets, and every single sprite was on one sheet of paper. And it was a it was a stack about that thick, and it was the orientations as well. It wasn't just this is a you know this is a red alien. It was this is a red alien facing this way. This is a red alien facing that way. This is a red alien facing that way, and that was all looked like inkjet printed. Again, original stuff from Iram. You know, it's like oh get rid of it, don't need it. Give it to Mark. Mark Jones, a graphic artist. After he'd done the graphics, mm -hmm. he probably chucked it away. Again, another one of those you know worth a fortune. Wish I'd kept stuff. What about you? Have you got any old stuff you want to keep? Well, um, well I was given a TRS-80 when I was 10 and took it to pieces. Um, <laughs> I was by the same person I was given a Jupiter race. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. A, a shit <laughs> spectrum as it was given to me. Uh, as. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I said, oh, if it's not spectrum, uh, and I'm, I'm only like 10 at this time or 11. 
and the keyboard got glued to my computer studies folder when I was uh, went to secondary school. Oh, it was terrible, terrible. It wasn't just the keypad; it was the whole plastic. Yeah, I know. Awful. And, and and the plastic, yeah. I mean, it's a. I, I I sort of compared it to a craft cheese slice left out in the sun, but you had you had a similar analogy for it as well. Yeah, the, yogurt pot plastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I kept that under the bed. I I, I used that. Then I stuck it under my bed. And I came back to it years later, and it was caked in dust and everything. And I opened it up and went, ah, chuck it in a bit. Yeah. I mean, what are they going for now? Six, seven, eight hundred pounds? Yeah, yeah. On eBay? E- easily, easily. And it was like just a one k pos, really. It wasn't, you know, yeah. when you look when you look back. But um, yeah, it's amazing. And uh, um, you know, you talk about boards as well. I mean, um, in a in a previous episode, I was speaking with. Uh, a programmer who um, went on to do 16-bit stuff in Hitman, who I grew up with in in, in Jaywick, and uh, we lived near an arcade called the Sunspot, and they were burning cabinets, uh, asteroid cabinets. Mm. We we could loot them at night. There was no one there, and I pulled out a full board with an engineer's manual still in its cellophane, and <laughs> I, I kept that for a little while and then threw it away. You know, and it's when the bin men, it's when the bin men could take anything in the good old days. You know. And uh, yeah, so I've, I've I've had my fair share of um, stuff that I regret, obviously uh, thrown away as well. So I think it's quite common to anybody who gives a damn about about the, about the subject. They <laughs> they realise what they threw away all those years ago, but it was at the time junk. You know, it was junk. Well, I can show my age in that the first video game I played was actually Space War. The Wrong. first game, yeah. uh, but it wasn't in America. It was uh, ICL. It was uh, at uh, Letchworth because the ICL were based there. They had a training place there, and someone had, had burnt Space War into a cabinet there. And this is even before Pong. Hmm. I think I was a bit afraid of it, to be honest, because I'd never seen anything like it. You know, in my life, it was it was Defender. You know, but it were it was that Space War, and. Funny enough, no, my, you know, I didn't go, oh, my God, I've got to do that. I just went, oh, that's good. Cool. Oh, no, no, nah, nah, and just yeah. moved on. So, I, you know, <laughs> regrets. I have a few, but then again, too few to me. Uh, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. stuff like that. I mean, I'd seen a Vectrex and all its games in a secondhand shop for about £75. Mm. Which thinking, is a lot of money. It's still a yeah, lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Not now, not yeah. today. This yeah. is, you know, years and years ago. But I remember the Vectrex were being sold by Woolworths. Yes. And uh, our local Woolworths, you know, they weren't shifting. So they just sort of piled them up and said, you know, take them away. And buy, you know, 50 quid or whatever it was. And we'll check in the games. And I go, no, I don't want that. I don't like that. It's only got wired, you know. Yeah. Again, Vectrex, which, you know, regret again, we should have bought that. Yeah, no, that's right. Well, no, yeah, because <laughs> it's marketed by MB. I thought, well... They make Twister, you know. They can't do they they can't do computers, you know. Not not like Spectrum and all that. And um, also that takes us quite well to Met Metatoys, where you started your Metoid, career. Yeah, yeah, Met, yes. because um, they started out with Corgis, and then they moved on to the Dragon. <laughs> I don't know about move on. Yeah, Corgi cars. Uh, they they were Wembley as well. Wembley footballs. Wembley Space Hoppers, Wembley Kites. That was up in Northampton. They were also doing Fisher-Price. They were distributing Fisher-Price from another factory skewing neath, on the outskirts of the the next major (laughs) city. (laughs) The next major deprived place along from Swansea. And um, no, Dragon 32. 
I, I, what do you what, what do you think Metoys and the Dragon Thirty Two the production was? What what what's in your mind's eye about that? I'll tell you the reality of it then. Okay, right. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna entertain you now. Okay, you got shiny floor, <laughs> loads of people in lab coats all lined up there, just putting together. <laughs> Maybe taking like a, a cocoa badge off and putting a dragon badge on, maybe or something like that. Yeah, loads, loads of people that you'd see working at Tfal, maybe. <laughs> Where it was was in in a room about the size, probably about the size of your bedroom. And what it was, they, they bought in the components. It was along a wall where. You had the warehouse and a narrow little gap where you had to walk through to get out the door. And as you walked past, you would walk past uh, the guillotine, which is what they used to cut the uh, the cards for the back-ins for the Corgi Juniors. And you walked down a little further. And, and then if you, you know, if you kept walking, you got to the toilets. But before you got to the toilets, there was one little room with a locked, very locked door, I must admit. I did go in there once. They were... So, uh, what do you call it? Sonic welding plastic. It's done through high intensity sound, I assume. And um, you stuck your head in a big pile of stuff. But I mean, the building was, you know, 1920s, 30s building. I don't think it's seen a white floor ever. And uh, nobody in white coats. Uh, funny enough, <laughs> when it comes to white coats, there used to be a thing up in the Metoys, in one of the toilets in Metoys. Sorry, it is, this is clean. It's not dirty. And it was a little poem. And it, it said, uh, the working class can kiss my ass. I've got my white coat job at last. <laughs> and that was it. If you wore yeah. a white coat at Metoys, you were management. And if you didn't, you were a worker. Oh. <laughs> I had a white coat. I had a white coat, but I wasn't really your manager. Yeah. Just pretend it was just that. But no, it was it was a single room. I think they bought in a load of stuff. I, I was made redundant around this point. For all I know, yes, they did end up in, in, a, in a laboratory somewhere, but I very much doubt it. Yeah, so how did it come about? Did one day like just a pallet of computers turn up from somewhere and they've said, oh, this is our strategy? Do you know what their thinking was behind it? I don't. I haven't got a clue because... You see, later on, you see, Metoys was set up for um, plastic extrusion, plastic, you know, the, uh, and metal die cast in. So later on, they had a contract with oh, Duracell to do their battery, to do their torches. They were making the plastic for their torches. They were doing cheap throwaway type torches. So that was a contract, obviously. But there was nothing constructive in Metoys other than putting these components together. They weren't mm. casting anything. They weren't pressing the, the, the cases. It just seemed somebody somewhere got an idea. And I don't think it, it didn't contribute to Metoys at all, really. I mean, they were a, they were a sinking ship. Even their cars couldn't keep up with Hot Wheels. I mean, it's it's pretty much documented the reason people like Dinky and Metoys, Corgi, went down the tubes was Hot Wheels came along. Because they had, you know, you had these cars and they were, I, I had them as well. You know, they were all these American muscle cars and uh, fantastic colors. And the wheels, you know, they're called Hot Wheels for a reason. Mm-hmm. You put them on a track and off they go. Whereas the Corgi were always known for their sort of, oh, yeah, we're, we're very accurate. Yes. I mean, that's how they that's how they kind of took the lead before with Dinky, because they came in with things like, we have doors that open. We have a, you know, you can steer the car with a little steering wheel. It's interactive. And so they took the market. But then, of course, someone else came along and said, yeah, but can your car do this? Zoom. 
you know, but you know, wow, I'll grab some of that. And then who wants a die-cast model of a, of a milk float or something? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'm exaggerating a bit here, but uh, that's that was the kind of thing they did. If you know, if you want, if you wanted the state coach, the Queen's state coach, and Prince Philip waving and everything, it's corgi, you know. But you don't play with that. You put that on the shelf and go, don't you touch that? That's going to be worth a fortune one day. Yeah, yeah, I think that you've that uh, you've articulated that perfectly. I think the Hot Wheels were sort of like the um, they were they were traded and and you know scratched up, yeah. distressed. You know, just crash them together, you know, and all yeah, that. Yeah. And um, if you were gifted like a like a, a dinky or a corgi or something like that, it was like keep the box, you know, you, and and all that. And you're thinking, well, where's the fun? Where's yeah. the fun in all that? It's sort of like they 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 were the gifts from your, your grandparents, whereas like uh, the you know you were buying the Hot Wheels, you know, for, from Woolworths. Maybe it's the you know enabler. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, people then realise, oh God, Batmobile in its box. Oh, untouched. Wow, that's going to with the bullets. Still got the bullets. With not, the plastic not bullets. sticks in it anymore. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, but even then, they changed that over the years. I mean, it used to come with the revolving tire cut. You pulled out the red plastic um, tire shredders and things like that, and uh, the chain cutter at the front. And um, yeah, James Bond was a, a good one for that. That was the one with the t- uh, with the pull out tire shredders. Yes, they changed the Aston Martin DB. Uh, over the years, but the, you know, if you had one of the first ones, it had, that's the one that had everything. And it just kind of got cheaper you know, over the years. You know, I, that's the one I'd want. Yeah. That's if I was if I was keeping them. But of course, he didn't know that at the time. You know that that was my job. My you know I, I went around the factory, and it would be a, you you know you would have stacks of Batmobiles. You would have Aston Martins in metal trays to go into the warehouse. You know piles of them. You never thought that. The funny thing was, you weren't allowed. I mean, they had a shop there, but you were limited to certain cars because they realised that people would buy the good ones and fence them off, and and sell them off cheap. So you had to order them. So you you couldn't go to the shop and say, "I'll have a Batmobile." They would tell you, "This month you can have one or two Batmobiles and one James Bond, and you've got thirty days to get it, and then you haven't. It's gone." Yeah. Yeah. Who did the Thunderbird 2, sorry? Do you know who did that? Was that Dinky or Corgi? Um I think that was Dinky. I've got I've got the Corgi book. There's a there's a fantastic Corgi, hardback Corgi book of every model they've ever made. So I could tell you what it was. Um Yeah, it was just weird. It was sort of like it was always green in my memory, but it was always like a silver metallic blue. I think the the one that the that I was always wanted, oh. you know, the one that I lusted after. So it used to drop out the middle. The legs used to drop out. Yeah. The mirror used to drop out, and then if you're lucky, there was like this little plastic Thunderbird Five that was uh, Thunderbird Four. Four. Yeah, no, five, five was the ISS. Come on, come on, basic blender. Are you, are uh, you really? Do you know anything about no, this? No, I mean, this is, you got this notes is, of you. You wrote the number down wrong. I've got no notes, uh, and this is the beauty of uh, this is the trademark of a bite high note in a podcast. I get at least one detail wrong. <laughs> at least, at least, yeah, at least, yeah, yeah. That's it. So no, I, I do, I do uh, enjoy that. So that's. Um, so, do you have any cars hanging about, or did they go in the scrap heap along with um, all, all the other uh, bits that I, we were doing? I, again, under the bed, there was a bag of old... You see, what you had were the Corgis, and then you had Corgi Juniors. 
and they were the smaller versions. And I had a, a few of them. I didn't, I, I wasn't buying them when I was working there. These were when I was a kid. And I don't know if you've ever opened up a bag of old cars. There's a smell to it. There's a metallic smell to it. Mm. And of course, you think, oh, yeah, I've got these. They're worth a fortune now. And you look at it and there's about you know, that much paint left on it because you can see the, the what it's it's called Mazak, the material it's made from, underneath. And they just banged to hell because they were, you know, we played with them and down. And I just, I don't know what I did. I either chucked them out or gave them to a, a kid or something. But yeah. um, no, they, I, I haven't got any Metoy stuff at all. I don't think I, I'm trying to remember now. No, I haven't. I haven't got any, any, any Metoy stuff yeah, yeah, at so all. So when you're working uh, at MedToys, then you you sort of that's probably how you started on your path of using computers as well. Was mainframe there, wasn't it? Or yeah, the job was we were trainees and we would go around the factory and spend a few weeks in every department, and every department would say exactly the same thing without fail, and that was, imagine the factory as a as a, a wheel. We are at the hub. Without us. Nothing would happen. So you go to buy in and they say, Oh, without if we didn't buy in the material, you couldn't sell the games. And then they're on a the factory the floor, they'd say, If we didn't make them, you couldn't, you know, or if we didn't go to the warehouse, didn't ship them. And I got that from the fire department as well. If the oh, if the fire department's not here, oh, we've got to shut down the factory. We are the hub at which everyone else revolves. And it, it literally was that. So the idea was at the end of two years, we'd become fully trained up in all the intricacies of all the, the ins and outs of Metoys, and then we become managers. And mm. But two of us, as I say in the book, ended up, there were four of us, two of us ended up as computer operators, mm-hmm. which has got you know zero managerial prospects, really. Where do you go from being a computer operator? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah. So... Unless a bigger <laughs> computer comes along, then you can work that. But yeah, you, it's, it's very much a, a linear. You 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 you're there, aren't you? You're siloed up. Yeah, there's nowhere to go. You know, if you're an operator, your next step up is chief operator. And there were only three of us on a ship, so you know, and <laughs> one guy's not moving. The hours were weird, but you got like forty three for yeah forty three percent shift allowance. So whatever you were earning, you were literally on time and a half mm. for the you know as you worked there. I come across space in was it? I come across something on the Seven Bridge. There used to be services on the Seven Bridge going into England, and there was a game there. I don't know what it was. And then there was Space War, because that's where they sent me on a training course when when I joined the computer department there. You see, they they were running mainframes, and they they had games there, and they had them on seven inch tape reels, and it was a case of put this on and it would play a tune very, very badly through the speaker. I think there was a one hour, you know, it, this was the, this was all printout. It was a teletypes and everything. And you could, you could play one arm bandit on that and it would come up and say cherry, cherry, orange or something <laughs> like that. Uh, and that was kind of the extent of the games that came with an ICL machine. But as to getting involved, no, I, I wasn't really, um, it didn't. It didn't fire me. It didn't inspire me. It, I liked the idea. You see, part as part of this training course, they sent us on. Um, we had to do an ONC in business studies. The fact that it's not on my resume, a resume should tell you how good I was at it. <laughs> you just don't like to, don't like to gloat. I don't like to. I don't like to boast about my accomplishments. <laughs> it was awful. I mean, it was. It was. Was it uh, accounts? 
statistics, economics, and contract law. And um, no, English, yeah, no, 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 no. But they had a library there, and they had, was it Donald Alcock's basic book, which is the, the one that reads like a comic, and it's got... And um, at the same time, the Daily Mail were doing this story about American computers and how, you know, how these little, you know, daft Americans had a computer in their house and stuff. And I thought, oh, I like that. And and then I learned to program and, of course, cocked it up completely by buying one of those Sinclair pocket calculator things, <laughs> you know. Now, I haven't got it here. I, I could probably show it to you. It still works. Hmm. Um, plastic, the same quality as the Jupiter Ace, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah, I can picture it. I can picture it already in my mind. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I had to take about this was the second one I had because I found the first one I had when you pressed down on one of the keys, uh, the display dimmed. I think it was uh, not because of some oh fantastic rerouting of, uh, of electrons through different parts, but just because the case was pushing against some component on this. <laughs> it's grounding out. Yes. But you know, it had some like thirty-two bytes of RAM. This I've got the manuals like you could buy a, these programs. You had to type them in in steps. I think it was all done in nibbles in in, in four bit or even two bit. No, four bit probably. And um, you know you could you could play Lunar Lander on your calculator. That the game where you know you are this high off the ground. You know, and it would tell you how much fuel do you want to burn. Tap tap tap. Enter. You are now this high off the ground. How much fuel do you want to burn? Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. And that was sort of my first. Uh, you know, but but that was kind of a misstep. I should have ignored that completely and gone straight to a TRCD. But as I said, bloody expensive. Mm, you know, mm, no worse. So the TRS eighty was the um, yeah your, your first computer, and it's that shop in New Barnet, wasn't it, that we were talking about? <laughs> the comp shop. Yeah. yeah, everybody's been to that shop to to get their first computer pre ZX eighty one for sure. Well, I think uh, you've seen the advert, I hope, the, the yes. ones I sent you. I mean, I think they were the only UK 101 suppliers. Mm. I mean, you could buy a NASCOM, I know, in Tottenham Court Road. And, of course, a Na UK 101 was um, inspired, shall we say, by the NASCOM, mm. Mm. <laughs> to put it mildly. Yeah, that way, it was down to two at the end. It was, shall I buy a NASCOM or shall I buy a TRS-80? And there's the shops. And uh, the, the comp shop up in New Barnet selling TRS-80s without the screen and without the tape recorder, which is what you had to buy yes. with a TRS-80. What did they do with them? I don't know. Where did they get units only? You know, did they buy well, the whole thing in? Yeah, well, this is a strange thing because um, well, the TRS-80 is quite an interesting uh, computer from, from, what I, from what I've gleaned about it is the fact that Charles Tandy, um, someone designed this computer, Charles Tandy said, right, okay, will make one per store, you know, in America. So he built 10,000 because he didn't think he'd sell any more than that. And then when the order book got full up and they said, well, it looks like we're going to need about 50,000, you know, just to yeah replace the ones that we've we've already sold. He said, the only thing I've ever sold 50,000 of is batteries. <laughs> uh, so he said, oh, you know, I don't, don't really know. But um, yeah, so they kept up. They did a couple of models. But the Model 1, I think, or the... The modulator and all that must have been sort of like retrofitted to get over. Oh yeah, the yeah. And the supply, the supply of them was like, you know, I think it was at Model Three. They probably kept up. There was a problem in the USA with the Mark One that the RF coming off of it was a problem for the regulators. They they didn't like the fact that a computer could interfere with other signals. But what they didn't realise was that people were buying these computers, sticking them in factories 
you know, and it might have actually been the factory equipment that was causing problems and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it's really strange. So for him to wind up in a shop in New Barnet, that's just sort of like, it, it, it's an interesting juncture. And I don't think many people probably outside the United States would understand that, you know, that there was a following for, for such a computer because it, it's very much, um, from what I understand, it's a holy trinity between that Apple and the pet. Uh, in, in America. So it's, it's very fascinating that they got over it. Well, the comp shop, as I said, its actual appearance belies its two-page spread advert where you think you're dealing with a major warehouse somewhere. It literally just was a pokey little shop. I bought it, and I bought two games to go with it. I bought two Scott Adams adventures. Mm -hmm. Then I was taken up the little wooden stairs to the second floor, or the first floor, depending if you're American or British, I suppose, um, where another two Scott Adams adventure games were copied off for me. I shall say that. Uh, also, <laughs> in a fantastic, <laughs> in a fantastic meta, the copier tape that was used to copy the games was then copied and given to me as a copy. <laughs> so but but i went there a second time to buy uh what is probably the worst peripheral for any home computer ever go on uh, that was i don't know I, i'm I'm gonna say it uh i don't know if it'll ring any bells the exatron stringy floppy do explain more about the exatron stringy floppy do you you know sinclair microdrive cartridge I, i've chewed a couple up <laughs> Exatron stringy floppy, same idea. Better build quality. The, the the cartridges were about the size of a credit card. Uh endless loop of tape that you just, you know, wrote to as fast as you could. It, you know, you had to move it to the right position and everything. Totally useless for the TRS eighty, really. There's nothing you could do with it. It just seemed like a good idea at the time. About as useful as a Sinclair ZX microdrive. Oh, you know the TRS eighty, um, they used to say the TRS-80 was the only computer you could physically damage. Right. Because it used to be this thing that says, oh, it doesn't matter what you type on the keyboard, you can't damage it. I'll add to that later on. There is another, there is a Spectrum model you can damage, and I did. But uh, the TRS-80 had a cassette, or a read switch, a little read relay switch, which was basically a little piece of glass about that big with a little bit of, or, I don't know, metallic magnetic material in it and it opened and shut. And they worked out that if you could flick this faster and faster and faster, you could get sound out of it. Right. There's a, you know, any kind of vibration, you could get sound. And you would get sound out of it, except that you would really drastically damage, you know, reduce the life of the cassette interface. Now, the other machine that you could break which may come as a surprise to you, was the disc-based ZX Spectrum, the Plus 3. Right. The one with, the yeah. floppy, with its floppy disk. Um, because <laughs> I did. What you had inside to control the heads of the disk was a spiral, a plastic spiral. And uh, I did one game, I think it was Tusker, I think it was, and I had uh, you got the disk loading code from... I don't know who it was, but it was it was custom code and it was designed this and that, you know, and it was like, do not enter anything more than this value. Hmm. And of course, I entered more yeah. than this value. And the heads went on the spiral, spiral, spiral and dropped off the end. 
No. Wow. There that's was no yeah. end stop. There was no end stop on the spiders. They just sort of see, they just assumed that everyone would use these values between X and Y. But if you used Y plus ten or twenty, just kept going and going and going and going, and plopped off the end. Wow. Really? Yeah. Um, I had to take it back. I. I bought, I only had it about a week or so. I had to go back and say, it doesn't work. I don't know why. I don't know why. But you could probably do that now. I mean, you know, yeah. you type the right numbers in on a, on, on a plus three and goodbye disk drive. Oh, mm. right. So, yeah, you can like, unwind the worm completely. That, yes. So there might be a few examples on eBay where that's happened, and um, you know they say, "Oh, the, this drive's not working," and uh, but they go for silly money still anyway. I I had a plus three actually with a multi-face three, brilliant, brilliant bit of gear that was, and I think you spoke about the romantic robot multi-face in, in in your book as well. Yeah, I've been there. I've been up to their their premises. I think that's where I bought it. I actually went up to um, oh go with it. Oh, it'll be in the advert somewhere. I went to there. It was, it, it was like this old um, kind of Victorian and Georgian type building in a, in, a, in a road. And it was nothing, again, you know, you have in your mind, it's this fantastic hub of electronic wizardry because it does all this, that and the other. It's just, a you know, a couple of blokes in a, in a house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, speaking of which, do you, do you remember the Trojan, the Trojan light pen? And the Trojan light gun. I, I do, yeah. I remember the Trojan light pen. Yeah, yeah. I didn't use one, but it was always advertised in the it the Daytel Electronics adverts and things like that. Well, if you want, I can pick up the tablet and show you it. It's down there. It's just yeah. down there. Oh, yeah, right. we used to. It's I mean, where where I used to live because I I am moved far from you know where I grew up. Yeah. Some of the where I grew up. Um, you could look out our front window and you could see the back of their house. It, it's that close, and we used to play with the kids. Right. There, they are Trojan, and they are literally, you know, about thirty. If I go out my front door, I'll be in. I'll be outside Trojan, where Trojan used to be, in about thirty yeah. seconds. Wow. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. there we are, cool. center of excellence where we live. Well, All the genius. Yeah, it seems to be quite a hotbed. I mean, is it? You alluded to Swansea as the area. Would it be that there was sort of like a financial incentive to to start up in that part of the world? Because um, my only knowledge of Wales when I was young growing up was uh, Cluid when they, they did a lot of hot points there. And I think that was probably like a, an economic thing as well. Yes, yeah, some of the outlying areas, because they were, you know, they were coal towns, yes. coal villages. And when that died, there were incentives to come and work there. I don't think Swansea was that, because if Swansea had that, then no one would have gone to these other places. You know, Swansea, Cardiff, all the all the, the larger places. We had Miles Gordon Technology doing the Sam Coupe. The Sam Coupe, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. You ain't got one of them under your bed, have you? No, no. I had to go up to his house once, uh, but he wasn't in. Oh, took me right. forever to find. Uh, yeah. I had to deliver a letter or something to him from someone else. And it took me forever to find. And I thought, I'll knock on the door. We'll have a good old chinwag, you know. Oh, you know. Nobody was in. Nobody was home. Roland were there as well doing their synthesizers up on the estate. It's up, uh, there's, there's loads of little industrial estates and large industrial estates dotted around Swansea. And on one of them, there's a lake, um, Phoenix Way. So, uh, yeah, you had Miles Gordon Technology up there. You had Roland up there. Who else do we have? There was Abasoft. I don't know if you remember them from the spectrum. They were further west from here. Mm -hmm. 
there was one other, I come across one other Swansea developer who produced, a, I know at least one Spectrum game, but I can't remember. I, I, I guess, I, I'm a terrible joker, but I guess you could say that like Swansea was Silicon Valley. Like that, yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, uh, no, it's nothing like, I, I actually, yeah, I've been to Silicon Valley because I worked in America over there. I worked in California for a while and down in, uh, well, Foster City in San Mateo, which is just south of uh, San Francisco. And you've got places like Sunnyvale, Palo Alto, mm -hmm. Menlo Park, and uh, Stanford University. See, I was I don't drive, so I get around either by leg or by two wheels, mm -hmm. by bike. So um, I, I, I couldn't find a push bike. There you are. Mm -hmm. For love, no money in any of the, you know, in the, there's no shops, it's malls. Mm -hmm. You either go to Hillsdale Shopping Mall or you go to the Fashion Island Shopping Mall, you know, and they don't sell bikes there. There's no bike shop. You know, in Britain, every I mean, village has got a bloke with a dodgy, greasy little room, you know. Oh, go, 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 Obviously, people in Stanford University cycle around the the campus quite a lot. So, uh, we went off to off to there one day. As I said, we went over what appeared to be this huge pipe in the road, mm -hmm. and it was the Stanford Linear Accelerator where they were doing their, you know, not cyclotron, but whatever it was they were mm. shooting. And I think until the um, the one in in Switzerland, mm. oh, know, the CERN, uh, yeah. The yeah. stern one. I think that was the biggest one in the world. You know, it was so big there were roads and bridges over it. You know, they just kept going in a line. But, but I was in. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, there's not much to the valley, yeah, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, so, what, what sort of projects were you working on out there? Was that still in, in the field of computing? Yeah, that was after the Spectrum died. Yes, 1990. So I I had an offer. Do you want to go and write a a, a mass Sega Master System game in America? All right. You know. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think I'll. Yeah. That sounds yeah, good. Yeah, sounds yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. So I was over there doing Shadow of the Beast for the Sega Master System. Oh, right. With uh, Ed Hickman, another old Spectrum coder. Yes. And Simon. Simon. I knew you'd ask me this. It's either Simon Foster or Simon Freeman. And I can't remember which. Simon Freeman. Because I think Simon Foster did um, Roller Coaster Tycoon and all those roller coaster games. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Unless old... I've got it yeah. around the wrong way. Which, if you've read the book, if you've read my book, you may or may not have spotted the bit about Elite, about David Bell and Ian Braben. <laughs> the new duo they're in town yeah yeah david bell and ian braben yeah sorry sorry yeah. guys i got that yeah um yeah i get i got my names confused yeah. so, so what the, game was that in the, the master tronic game was it, um uh the sega game was it uh shadow of the, shadow beast? Of the beast yes yeah. the yeah. um signosis one yeah that was actually quite a decent game you know graphically certainly did that actually come out from spectrum as well i think Yes, I think it probably yeah. did. They, the games got really good, and then no more. That was it. It's sort of like they reached a critical mass. I think. Well, I, I guess that's me being selective again because um, I was given the chance. Like, oh, you know, you want to change your spectrum, didn't you, Carl? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, yeah. It's about time you went up in it. And uh, my dad's trying to sort of like say, you know, ST or Amiga. Looking back, he was, but he didn't say that. Obviously, so I went for a Commodore sixty four. Uh, and like you know they were dead on there I bought C64C 
uh, picked up a disk drive off, a, off somebody who just moved from Germany. So I had all these, never had a new game for it. You know, it was all on the um, all on yeah. the cracked. And it was the first time I've ever seen cracked stuff in my life. Being on the Spectrum, you could just record stuff in a, in a Amstrad tape deck straight off. And, then, yeah. and that's fine. Yeah. They never needed cracked stuff. And then all of a sudden, I'm in this world of cracking. But um, yeah, so I got the Commodore. And then this game called Creatures came out. And it's like it was a 16-bit game, really, for for an 8-bit system. But then then it just all suddenly sort of fizzled out. Maybe for me, I don't know. But it just seemed that everything just got really good. And then, you know, the progression just went. It was maybe they backported the last few because they could learn a lot more on the 16-bitters. And... uh, they gave them more of a sandbox and they could scale back maybe because um, you said about Mark Jones doing the ships for R-Type for you and he, he based them on the ST. Yeah, he did those first and then he, he'd show me, he'd sort of go, right, and then you do this and it takes out this colour plane or whatever and you do this and he takes mm. out this colour plane. And, I mean, he you know, he'd end up with, say, a mono, he'd, you know, a monographic and then he'd add put in the attributes mm. and he do it that way and uh, and he was doing that before you know that was the theory behind uh, donkey kong you know that were rare with you know we're saying look oh look at how fantastic graphics you know and uh, well because we ported them down from um a silicon graphics machine or something and you know i'd lead into the famous people you know nintendo thinking they were seeing a silicon graphics demo Mm, mm. And it was actually running on their machines, and it, you know that's how they got involved. Got involved with Nintendo, they couldn't believe what they were seeing. But um, that idea that you, you know, of taking the best quality you've got and then downgrading it to fit on your machine, Mark was really good at that. I mean, that was, you know, he was underappreciated when he came came, came to grab it, probably because he shares the same name with Mark Jones of Ocean. Yes, he was also a graphic guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, good one as well. Yeah. You see, you had Mark Jones Ocean. You had Mark A. Jones. Yeah, Mark R. Know. Mark A. Wasn't it? I think. That's <laughs> it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, oh, he called himself Mac M A K. So I think there was a bit of confusion over the two. But Mark was brilliant, brilliant stuff. He, he told me a story of I know the graphic artist, but I won't mention a name. And it was for a game, and he said this. He did a brick wall, not a customized brick wall. And he said, well, how many characters do you think, you know, to make up a brick wall? It's one. If you've ever seen Jet Set Willy or Manic Miner, you know you've got one character and it's just a brick. And you just pretty... He said he had about 20 or 30 making up this brick wall because he just got the pixel off slightly. Unless you get it right, mm-hmm. you know. It, so you get it off by a, a pixel or two and then the next one along isn't the same. It, you've got to put in a new character and then a new character until eventually you end up back, you know, you can use that first character. And he said he was using that. He had so many characters making up a brick wall when all you need is one. Mm. And this was 8-bit. I mean, obviously, nowadays, you can't get away with that Call of Duty. No, no, this is it. (laughs) it? Um, Yeah, a lot of new games passed me by because I ended up just like killing my own battalion by pressing the wrong button you know and things like that and you got like a a film to watch before you can even start playing these things you know so playability is certainly different on, on those but um i, I mean the other thing about our type and you know the, the games that you worked on were the um what, what i'm reassured about in the book um and you know people are gonna have to read the book i'm not gonna go on a you know go page for page about it but um a few takeaways are from it that you get your best ideas by accident with the bordering of the to, to prevent attribute clash, you know, programming in a border yeah, like a donut yeah. around a, a character. Yeah. 
you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. You look, you know, that's the simplest thing ever, isn't it? But you, you, you did it just to obviously because you, you said that you're rubbish at pixel art, so you just wanted just to do rudimentary shapes and then drop the yeah. graphics in later. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, you know, if if I could do graphics, or, I mean, if I had any artistic ability, I would need to pay money later on. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, when you're doing when you're self-employed and you've got a and you're not working for a company. You know, um, or they, they're just sort of saying, you know, here's a contract, give us the game in six months, and it's up to you to supply the sound and the music. Yeah, I mean, it's a name, you know, you know, serendipity, fortunate coincidence, mm. you know, it's how, you know, penicillin is discovered, and mm. I'm not going to class myself, I'm not putting it up there with that, but um, I can't draw. I had to come up with tiles that were four by four characters, because that was the, that's what I was decided to use. I can't, you know, it's just like, just draw a circle in the middle, you know, just draw it. I didn't even. I said I didn't even fill. Couldn't even be bothered to fill the end of the the blocks. I mean, if I if I did, it would have color clashed like you know, like mad. But you realize, I mean, I did have some idea of what I was doing. It wasn't mm-hmm. absolutely a total accident, but I didn't plan it like that. It really was a surprise when I, I'm seeing color scroll across a you know uh, you're seeing it scroll across the screen at the same time something else isn't and there's no color clash and you're thinking, what the I mean, the technique is pretty straightforward. As I said it's used in, um, it was used before me, Life Force, you know, the, the, that shoot them up. It's get, you can get away with it because of the black background more, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess, yeah, because Space Shooter, I guess that's, uh, you know, it's all taken care of, isn't it? But um, it, it's just uh, like I, I dabbled a little bit with programming when I was learning Fourth, and um, you didn't realise that collision detection is only searching for a particular, like, character. Like if it's looking for space, it's not looking for a space. It's looking for ASCII character thirty-two, maybe or something like that. You know, and it's um, and that's when again, you know, reading what you've written about it previously, it sort of clicks. Everything's just full of click moments in in, in that book, and it, and it's uh, <laughs> it's quite interesting that we mentioned earlier about the the TRS eighty, and I think um, you know, in preparation, I was going to ask you about squirting code over, and guess what? You had already mentioned that in the book. That's probably where I got the idea from in the first. <laughs> place there was another uh programmer i think matt smith for jet set willie who used yeah. the trs-80 and i think he his terminology was squirt the code from the trs-80 and donate the code over to the sinclair spectrum um it's something i've always been fascinated by i mean how would that have been achieved would it just be like just an interface between the two computers yes yeah i mean when i first came across the technique which was in the magazines you know and it would be like oh here he's writing spectrum game he wrote this on a trs-80 and you think well you can't trs-80 hasn't got a color screen hasn't got that hasn't got that but yeah it's just you know it's just an assembler on a trs-80 that produces a binary file mm-hmm. you don't run the binary file on the trs-80 you just assemble a binary, you know and assemble it and then you transfer the binary file down a cable to the to the spectrum, down a serial cable or something. You know, the first I came across that was when I was finishing off Rampage, and I think it was Super Hang On. I think um, Zari and um, Zari and KKJ. I can never remember their real names. Uh, they had an you know they had a a, a PCW eighty two fifty six. I think they had at the time. Mm-hmm doing it and that's when the penny dropped that's when it was explained to me this is how you use one machine to code on another it is a difficult concept if you're not it can hit you in the face and you think how do you do it how how is it possible Mm -hmm. but once you get your head around the fact that you're just 
compiling a you know the assembler doesn't care what you what you're assembling you know as long as you've got a binary file you could run it on any damn machine you want yes yes so yeah i guess and and i get it now because you're not executing the code on 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 the native uh, thing it doesn't have to not understand it i mean because the trs8 had like six by by three pixels um, oh, and like yeah. you say, it's completely black and white, and it would never have. Uh, it would have just a big question mark would have just illuminated across the uh, <laughs> the screen if you if you hit run on it, I guess. And uh, but did you manage the technique with an Amstrad six one two eight? Was that something that? Uh... Well, we uh, yes, it was. It was. Um, I'm trying to remember. This is going back to Rampage days where we were coming to the end of it. It all got really messy with Rampage. As I said, we we got problems with interference because we were next door to a taxi company so the 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 amstrad you know the machines there were interfering left right and center we then moved out to these lovely new premises where catalyst coders invited themselves up and i said you know the landlord came in one day and there's about a dozen scruffy coders dossing on the floor he's expecting a high-tech computer company all white coats and you know shiny floors shiny floors (laughs) so got chucked out of that i mean and I was in that building on my own, literally on my own. But I think, yeah, there was a 6128 for a while. You see, I get I get a little confused because I used to use an Amstrad PCW8256 to program um, an old apricot computer, which um, before I got involved in the Spectrum. Right. Um, so, my, so everything tends to get mixed up in my mind. So people, you know, so one person I can say, yeah, I used an 8256 to code this game because i can remember connecting things up and a green screen and uh, all that crap and then you got the 6128 but then rampage was written without any of that because when i got down to uh in-house at activision it was me you know i think it was uh don't even think it was a micro drive i think it was i can't say i can't remember help help (laughs) you tell me you tell me you know you know more about this than i do well, no, I think you know, you've told you've told me the you know I, I didn't really know how the data transfer works, so that's really good to know. And um, so, the Apricot computer, yeah. So was that a computer that was sort of like um available before before the ZX Spectrum? What was sort of uh, tech spec on that? Uh, Apricot was a CPM machine, green screen, lovely keyboard, very soft screen. It was trying to, you know, this is at the time when uh, IBM were bringing out the PC. And so you had a lot of competitors and each one was trying to take a share of the market. You had the, I don't know if you remember the Osborne, the, the, it was a huge carry thing that came, you know. Big luggable thing, yeah, yeah. Built in. Yeah. The Apricot was kind of like that. It was just a computer. I mean, you know, we, we look at it now and you say, and you say, well, what's different you know a computer is a computer if it's either a, a you know it's either got a, a tablet computer it's got apple in it or it's got android in it or it's got windows in it you know how can you have anything else if you know if you have another computer what's it going to run is it going to be an android is it going to you know but uh, you know as you say even with home computers we had the micro elan the flan you know the what was that orange one the auric Yorick, yes, yes, <laughs> yes Tangerine, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yorick, the Jupiter Ace, you know, who, you know, Jupiter Ace. What's it running? Microsoft, Apple, or uh, or Android? It's <laughs> running four. What? <laughs> Which is the best language in the world, actually? Oh, Which do, is the best I, language I, in the I world? I love yeah. four. But it's, um, 
I'd always been trying to assemble and things, and like I didn't, I didn't get it at all. I was going to the back of the magazines, seeing all this assembler code, just typing it in, getting syntax error straight. Yeah, you know, I didn't understand the need for assembler yeah. and things like that. But exactly with you, well, if a, if a command doesn't exist, why not write one yourself? And and that's what you can do on fourth, and it and it's such a wonderful language from my point of view, and it was one that actually made me sort of understand computers and, and, and game design. And I only really learned that 10 years ago, Bob. So it's sort of like, you know, again, the revelation of my English journey. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, so how old, um, if you don't mind me asking, how old were you when you were sort of like doing Rampage and, and R-Type when you were sort of like in the, you know, in, in, in the sort of like the, the epicenter of the Spectrum Games boom? Well, I was born in 1959, so if I was doing Rampage in 88, R-Type in 89, that puts me about 30 years old. But I came, I came to the Spectrum really late. I mean, the Spectrum was launched in 82, mm. and, you know, for f- four or five years of that, I was the same as everyone else. I played it. You know, I bought it. I played the games, went to the shows. Some of them, you know, to say about the microfair, that's another thing. That, but um, it was only... You know, literally, it was an advert in the job center. Literally, you know, up on the wall. Hey, you know, would you like to write games? For, you know, and it was like you. I couldn't. I couldn't get my head around assembly language for years. Literally years. And the sticking point was always the same thing. It was why you know, if I can type CLS on a machine, whatever it was, and it clears the screen, where in the assembly? is the CLS command, mm. because obviously it's type CLS, it's going away and it's getting the command from somewhere. I'm not, not even the code, it, you know, how, where is CLS? And, you, you know, oh, it goes there, and you look there and it goes, load HL this, load DE that, load, you know, LDIR. No, I can't see CLS anywhere around here. What, what the, you know, what's, what, why is it, when, what, you know, that kind of thing. It, it I couldn't, knit the two together yeah. and then when i got to the jupiter race and it was like this is how you create commands and you go wait a minute yeah there is no clear screen command unless you make one and you make one by typing this code in so if i type this code in and it clears the screen if i type this code in in the assembler you know that i've just seen in the rom disassembly book or whatever will it work will it you know oh look it works now why does it work oh one six oh that's a screen start oh what does that what does ldir do oh moves a block of code well, what? Oh, data zero. Oh, so that's how you do it, please. That's you've got to make things. You know, where's the print command? I need to print hello world in an assembler. Where's the print? You know, what, what's the assembler? You've got to write it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've got to do it all from scratch. And it was like, right now, I understand this now. You've got to make it from nothing. Yeah, yeah. Fetching and calling and, and things like that was just absolutely you know, brilliant. And, and using things like VRAM, I never realised that what you see on the screen has got its own memory, you know, and, and, and things like that. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, wow, you can just put things there if you want to. And, and yeah, you can really make these, uh, you know, these machines sort of sing by using all these, li- all these little tricks. And, uh, yeah, I find it absolutely amazing. So at, at, at the age that you mentioned you were, you know, in your late 20s, how do you deal with the with the stress and and the pressure that I perceive that you'd be under to to produce these things for these like you know faceless people that are giving you money, but in return you've got to deliver this by a particular day? You do it. You just 
you just go ahead and do it. I mean, I tried different ways of working over the years. It was sometimes I'd say, right, for this project, I'll work nine till five, Monday to Friday. And then that doesn't work, you know, it doesn't work. Oh, this pro this one I'll do seven days a week and I'll work 16 hours a day, you know. <laughs> but whichever you come up with, you always end up in the last few months. It's a pain, you know, you, it's easy enough for the beginning. The thing with any game is you, you've got to put in the milestones. And, uh, you know, before you start, you say, oh, on the first four weeks from now, you will see this. Four weeks after that, you will see this. And if, you, and if they see it, then they pay you. If they don't see it, you don't get paid. That's mm -hmm. the milestone. So at the start, it's pretty straightforward. You've got a lot of time on your hand. You know, you've got a month to come up with a scrolling screen and a sprite kind of thing, which you can mm -hmm. do in a day or two. So you tend to, you know, there is no stress at the start. It does increase at the end, not because you, you have to come up with stuff, because you, you either can do it or you can't do it. And that's, you know, they're paying you to do it. And you know you can do it. Uh, I think I say in the book, when you start off coding and not necessarily games, for any problem, there are two parts to it. The first part is, how do I do it? And then the second part is, how do I code that idea? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I want to do this. How am I going to do it? Oh, you can do it if you, you know, but then you've got to physically type on the keyboard. That is a two-part problem where you can spend ages thinking over the first part where you go, I how am I going to do it? You know, how do I get 20, 30 sprites on screen? I don't know. How do I get it? How do I get sound out of it? I've got no idea. I've got to go and investigate, research it, test it. Hmm. As you get over that hurdle, eventually it shifts to, I know I can do it. I just got to type it in. Mm -hmm. So you do get a lot of stress at the start when you, you know, not necessarily at the start of, of a game, but at the start of your programming career, because you're shooting in the dark. You have no idea what targets you're hitting. But after two or three, you start to get comfortable. And if you're any good, like uh, my approach, it's unusual. I've written about this in someone else's book, an American book. They asked me what my approach is. I say I'm very negative at the start of a game or of anything. I will deliberately look to see why things won't work. If, if I'm with if someone says, oh, do this, that, and the other, I will look at it and go, no, I can't, it won't, it's not going to do that. And, and, and the idea is if you can get all the negatives out at the beginning, you're, you know, you've got all your problems solved. So I can be very negative at the start of a game, if, especially if you're with people and they're introducing a game and saying, oh, and the game is going to do that and we want you to do this, that, and the other. And you go, no, no, can't be done. And it sounds like you don't want to do it, but it's not, it's... You coming up their ideas, you can see are going to lead to a dead end. Mm, mm. So you be you get very negative. Now at the end, when you say about stress, yes, it can get very stressful. And I used to warn people. I'd say, you know, like in the last month or two months of the game, I am not going to be a very nice person. I will be very short. I'll be very abrupt. I won't have time for you. You know, I'll probably annoy the hell out of you. You know, you won't like me. <laughs> And that was it. That's that's because I tended to concentrate on what was in front of me just to finish the damn thing, because that's what you do. You know, it reaches a, a stage of any project, any coding project, where it goes from, you know, this is fun, I'm enjoying this, to I'm not enjoying this anymore. And hopefully you then get to the third stage, which is I am going to finish this damn thing and I will, you know, then I can go on the beach and I will lie down. I'm going, you know, but it will be done, you know, to the yeah. game. You know, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, and uh, then that's you. You enter. I do in any way enter this mindset where 
Oh, would you like to come out for a, you know, no, no, sorry, got to do this. Oh, but it, look, I told you I'm doing this, you know, and you get to be very, and it's not anger against them. It's because you, mm. you've got to. Yeah, that's how you finish games. That's, yeah. how, that's how you, you know, that's how you write games. You just have to keep plugging away to the end. I mean, you know, what do they say? Something like 90%, you know, the crap, you know, 90% of so much is done in 10% of the time. And then the final 10%, you know, takes 90%, whatever. But I've never really got that stressed because I've always managed to do what I set out to do. Nearly, nearly got stressed on Dragon Breed, which was the, the last game I was doing because I couldn't get anything to work on that. And it was really approaching deadlines and I was panicking, but I got it in the end. But it's confidence in yourself. It's confidence in your abilities. And you only get that by going through this thing of, of how do I do this? How do I do that? Mm. I mean, to be honest, a lot of stuff, once you've written three or four games or whatever, there's not much new in the world. Mm. Yeah, you understand the play field so well really you know yeah the screen scrolls the sprites move yeah they may move in a different way than they did in the last game but it's the same concept you know you this happens that happens there's collision detection there's bullets there's jumping there's whatever you know if you've done it once you don't have to worry about how you're going to do it a second time you yeah. just do you know so there's not much i didn't find much stress once i got past probably got past about dragon breed really then everything was like, oh, okay, I can do this. So what was the, um, you ever see the film Misery where he, he, he allows himself one cigarette when he finishes a novel? Um, what's the thing that you do when you know you've finished, you've got that, you've got that cassette in a jiffy bag, off it goes, and you go, I've done nothing. What, what was the th first thing you treat yourself to? Ah, nothing really, just stop. You don't, just gladness. Thank hmm. God it's over. Thank God. It's not really a celebration. It's just, you know, the pressure is taken off your shoulders and yeah. the fact that you can sit down and, and watch television without feeling guilty. I think that's probably it. You know, watch a yeah. film or go to the cinema and not feel that the two hours or whatever you spent sitting in the dark watching something, you could have been, you know, writing a, a sprite routine or something. It's just, thank God that's over. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Are they going to pay me? That's if you want to stress, am I going to get paid? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's probably the difference between pressure and stress right there. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so you mentioned earlier, obviously, you you, you you think you put yourself into a negative uh, mindset when you look in a project and all that. Do you think that's why, uh, do you think R-Type picked you rather than than any other any other programmer? I mean, I you know, I... When the games were allotted to us, and I do mean allotted, you know, you will be doing our type. There, it wasn't. I didn't immediately think, "Aha, it's going to be full color, and it's going to be this, that, and the other." This is it. It was an accidental discovery. It turned out the way it did. Do I put myself? Well, uh, no. I mean, the game's linear in that once you've done one routine. You can you you can reuse it again and again and again. When you know it, it's it's a doable thing. It's then working. It's then problem. I always like solving problems. You know how do you how do you get a big ship? You know that's you know two screens wide. How do you move that around the screen? The answer is very slowly. You know you can't, you can't scroll it. You can't. You know the machine mm. machine's not there. People say about slow down. The game runs slow and everything. Well, 
Try playing the arcade version. It runs slow as well. You know, if you ever get into some of the later levels, it grinds, mm -hmm. you know, which you, which you don't ordinarily see. The idea is that you're so busy doing something, you don't see, you don't feel it. You're yeah. too busy shooting, trying to stay alive. You don't notice that the game's not running at, you know, 50 frames a second, which it never was. Yeah. It's, it's chugging along. Some, some people spot that. But uh, you know yeah. it goes with the territory. The thing is, if you if you open up an R-type board, you'll see that the, I, I I know this for Atomic Robo Kid, which was an Irem game. You'll see a Z80 chip in there, and the Z80 chip is just for the sound. Hmm. I know yeah. it's yeah. the the main processor. I think was I'm not sure on R-type on on Atomic Robo Kid. It was the sixty-eight thousand. Right, I think it was. You know, yeah, it's a Z80 in there for the sound. You know, and suddenly you've got to write these games where everything runs on a Z80. And what was it running at? Three and a half megahertz? Three and a half, I think, yeah. Not, not much more than that. And it, um, <laughs> it, it, it's weird because um, one game I remember, I think it's IRM as well, was Carnov. And I don't think yeah. you were involved with Carnov, were you? But no, no. The magazine screenshots look very sharp, nice, nice, and, and runs really well with no attribute clash around anything but when you actually play it, it's sort of like it, it hadn't used any of your techniques um at all you know which 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 was a shame because uh again that just goes to show where you know a technique that you picked up really does just alter a game if if only other people could have um adopted that technique as well and understood it i think it would have made a lot of games uh, a, a lot more playable but again another irm game it's a it seems that they were sort of like um flood, flooding the market towards the end like 88 89 well, Don Don Priestley was a master of that with uh, Trapdoor, Benny Hills, Madcap Chase, Flunky, Popeye. Popeye, yeah. You know, he's moving big sprites, big colourful sprites around the screen. Really big, really big, like cartoons, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, there is a little bit, you know, you've got to have a little bit. But, you know, look at Trapdoor. It's fantastic. It's, you know, it is like playing a cartoon. And you look and Trapdoor works again because you've got a lot of black, a lot of black paper, a lot of black background. So, you you know, you can get away with bleeding colors and things, you know. But he was a master at it. You know, that's how to do a proper attribute moving game. Yeah, Mike Karnoff, Yeah. <laughs> Too much colours, you know. You, you can think I can do this. I'm going to go to. I'm going to go to an extreme. I've fallen for that in other games. I've tried to put as much as I can into some of my Game Boy games, and um, you realise the hardware can't take it. Now, trying to do too much, you've got to cut back. But I don't want to cut back because I want it to be as accurate as I can make it. But Karnoff, something like Golden Axe, I think yeah. Altered Beast, where you've got multi-colour, you've got a coloured background. Yeah, and you know the Wally games, you know the micro, you know Three Weeks in Paradise and stuff like that. They used to come with a switch. You could say, look, you know, do you want to play it so that when your character goes over a background, it changes the color of the background, or do you want Wally to change to the color of the background? You know, you had a choice. Oh, yes. Does it yeah. does it take the background color or does it go in reverse? So you've got some kind of choice there, but as soon as you start putting in messy background, colorful backgrounds on a spectrum. Yeah. You've got to move everything on characters, but then characters have got to have a border, some kind of black border around them, like which is what Karnoff does. Yeah. And um, Artek gets away with it because, it, yes, everything moves on characters. It's, it's not unique in that, but the background scrolls on pixels, which 
I don't know what else does. Um, what's, does Exelon? No. Um, there's a vertical scroller that does that. Does Iridium do that? Should I mention it? I don't know. Well, Iridium's mono, I believe. Yes, it is actually. Yeah, it's um, yeah, mon mon monochrome. Yeah, so monochrome. I mean, but even then, you can use yeah, the same yeah. technique. You can, yeah. you can, you know, you can scroll the, the backdrop on pixels and move the sprites on characters. Yeah, it looks like a lot more's going on though when you when you're doing that. I think. Uh, I think it might be some. Good. I think Operation yeah. Wolf does something like that, yeah. isn't it? That's monochrome as well, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's a monochrome game, but because you know it just smoothly scrolls along. Yes. But then you've got all these big things popping up and helicopters and people throwing grenades at you. I understand now. Yeah, yeah. So you've got things moving up to yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very good game that Operation Wolf as well. It's, uh, you couldn't use our type technique for that because as I said the technique really is just you can put two colours together as long as in between them there's an empty black square or there's a square that is common to both. Mm. So you've got say you know the end of a white thing here and the beginning of a yellow thing there but they were both share that's their ink color in spectrum yes. but their paper is black so as they're moving along you don't see the transition because there is no transition you know it looks good but it's getting wiped out in the border yeah yeah, yeah that's it you know if you if you scroll in on horizontally you put everything your colors on horizontal planes but if you're going up and down the screen then you do it the other way around Mm -hmm. You have to leave, but you have to leave gaps. That's the kind of secret to our type. If you look, there are there are gaps everywhere. Hopefully, you know, all all the same colour next to each other. <laughs> and that's all that we got time for in this episode. But stay tuned for more episodes featuring Bob Pape. Um, if you've liked what you've heard, then. Do subscribe to the podcast or follow it any which way you can. It's available on all podcast uh, platforms for streaming and for download. Um, if you feel that way inclined, you can buy me a coffee on ko-fi.com forward slash bite high. Uh, any money I do get just offsets the, um, the, the podcast hosting costs. It is only a hobby. Um, so that would be jolly good if you did that. Uh, if you want to leave any feedback, you can do by uh, joining the Discord and um, leaving feedback there, or you can at me at TeddyTextR on X. Uh, I'm also available on Blue Sky as well. Bite High No Limit was presented by me, Carlos. It was edited by Dan Farramond, and it is a Bite High No Limit production. So until next time, keep it blocky. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.